This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. One, two, three, Good morning and welcome into the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm National Recruiting Analyst Cooper Tagging alongside 24-7 Sports Director of Scouting. We've got a very very special guest today. That is Brandon Marcello, national college football reporter for 24-7 Sports. And you can find a great article that he did on UCF, Gus Malzahn, and their transition into the Big 12 as they took on Kansas State on the road in the Little Apple in Manhattan, Kansas, this past week. Brandon, it was a fascinating article from start to finish. I, I loved it. I know Andrew and I have been talking about it before we hopped on here, so we're excited to talk to you about that. I'm also pretty interested. How did you draw this assignment? I mean, you were pretty much embedded with the UCF program from what, Tuesday to Saturday. It's a fascinating from start to finish inside look inside college football and kind of the preparation of the work week. But I mean, for me, I kind of want to know, like, how did this start? And, you know, how'd you end up uh, spending a week with the Knights? You know, I know Gus Malzahn very well from my time as a beat reporter covering Auburn. And uh, we had a hot and cold relationship, as you imagine, as a beat reporter. But um, <clears throat> back in April or May, uh, I ran into him at the Fiesta Summit and the Big 12 Spring Meetings in Arizona. And we had a quick lunch. And he said, hey, how about you come down to Orlando and I'll let you have full access to everything during a game week. And I went, sounds like a good idea. Can I pick the game? And I, to me, the Big 12 opener, uh, this program that's been trying to get into the Power Five for a better part of a decade now, why not make that the game? And uh, sure enough, their opener is against the defending Big 12 champions, Kansas State. So what a great opportunity to be able to go behind the scenes. Well, you mentioned they're going from group of five to Power Five. And if you read this story, I mean, Gus had a nice little pregame speech about that and and how he had recruited not only you know guys to UCF but guys to previous programs who have joined him there in Orlando I mean from your perspective I've been on that campus um you know new facilities uh, a different sense of energy like what has that transition been like for them yeah they've been working so hard and aggressive and trying to get to the power five and now that it's here it's almost like oh oh we're here it's almost not to say it's a shock to the system at ucf but it's like we still have a lot of work to do you know you talk about the facilities there they're pretty nice but they're, they're they got big vision there i mean they've already drawn up some designs for a football campus there a new football facility a new tailgating area that would have a lazy river that they would call cove gating they would allow fans to get on the water and tailgate um, you know, they've got a lot of big ideas, but when it comes down to like preparing for big 12 action, you know, Gus Malzahn, he, he had said all that week, listen, we've got the talent in place right now to compete in the power five. This isn't something where we got to build up to it. He says, we've been building up to this for several years, even before he was there. And now here in the last several years that he's been recruiting there, he's brought in kids from the transfer portal. He's recruited kids that are power five level talent 
And you could see that in practice. You know, I've been to many practices as you guys have across the country, and I was watching them all week going, this looks like a Big 12 team to me. Um, and especially, it didn't show up in the game, but their defensive line, especially their defensive tackles, I was like, goodness gracious, these guys could, a lot of these guys could start at an upper tier SEC program right now and have a lot of success. So that that's a program that's been building up to this. And man, goodness, because of the central location, I mean, it's just, it's like perfect uh, for a school that's trying to build up and build quickly because that's been in really UCF's DNA, even as a university. I mean, they just opened their doors 50 years ago, guys, and they're known as FTU at the time. And they had six buildings on campus. And I was doing some research on this, maybe too much. I do too much research. There's 630 buildings on campus now. Um, and it's the second largest university in the entire country. And it's crazy to think that, you know, 50 years ago, it was uh, in its infancy. I think they're going to acclimate pretty quickly. I mean, you talked about how much they, they have grown in a very short amount of time. What, what do you think is next for them in the next five to 10 years? Like what? Not, now they're in the Big 12, right? They're in a Power 5 conference. This is a team that has everything ahead of them. I think they can be the best recruiting program in the Big 12 in terms of where you see this program going in the next five to 10 years. What's next for UCF? I think for them, they're really trying to get a big handle on the, their NIL collective, the kingdom. They've moved over some really p good people there to run that, including SJ Tui, who is running that situation. And he's got a lot of great ideas. I hung out with them for a night. Uh, they even launched their first, the first uh, in the country, NIL hard seltzer. Um, I believe they're, they're debuting it in the stadium uh, for the Baylor game, their Big 12 opener. Uh, but, you know, to me, their fan base is so large. They have, like, I think they said the second or third largest living alumni base in the Big 12 at about 360,000. And it's increasing by 18,000 every year because of the large graduation base. But there's a positive and negative to that, right? The average age of their alumni is only 36 years old. So these are people that haven't yet maybe for the most part hit it big and, you know, sold off their first business and become millionaires or whatever. But in five to 10 years, as they get older and older and they start making more money, that's more money for them to push back to their alma mater at UCF. And so UCF is a program right now where fundraising is going pretty well. As I mentioned, they're looking at building some new facilities that look amazing but in five to 10 years, the belief there from talking to administrators, the coaches, they believe that their big like kind of cash windfall is right down the pike in five to 10 years. And combine that with the recruiting that they've got going there, the central location, they believe that in five to 10 years, this could be, you know, uh, potentially one of the top programs in the Big 12. Brandon, your story starts, I think you got there Tuesday of game week, right? and you traveled with the team to Manhattan, which I'm sure was uh, quite the flight, quite the uh, <laughs> adventure out of uh, Sanford International into, um, I'm assuming, a regional airport. Uh, but when you when you go through it and you read it, I mean, there's a ton of, of quotes from Gus Malzahn. I mean, a lot of X and O's. Um, what stood out to me, I mean, he was identifying on, on Tuesday, and I'm sure it's like this with college coaches around the country, but – Hey, we got to hit explosive plays. Like that was already 
for him known as a key to the game. And then, you know, there's some other other nuggets in there that I enjoyed. Um, I think you pointed out he was checking Twitter and and saw Auburn fans blaming him for the loss at Texas A&M. And then you said in the locker room, Gus acknowledged what, what Bo Nix was doing at, at Oregon. And obviously you've known this guy for a long time. Uh, I've had my fair share of interactions with him having spent some time on campus there, but what, what is Gus really like um, on a day-to-day basis? That I, he, you know, he probably would hate it if I said this, but he's kind of a dweeb uh, a football guy. And he's really funny. He's got kind of a dry sense of humor, um, you know, and he's especially gotten funnier with age. Um, you know, he stopped dying that hair. I guess he's, he, he doesn't have to keep up with Nick Saban in the state of Alabama anymore. So he's not having to dye his hair like Nick. Um, but, you know, I, I think that he's a guy that obviously loves football. And he's the first to admit to you that he's not the smartest college football coach out there. And he has always believed in his life that I just have to outwork everybody. And that's the only way I can be better than anybody else. I'm not going to outsmart anybody. And that's refreshing to kind of hear from a coach. So a lot of coaches, especially play callers, tend to think they can just out-scheme everybody and outthink everybody. He thinks he's got to watch more film than everybody. He's got to outwork everybody because he's not the, the, the smartest guy in the room, so to speak. Um, and, you know, also, I think he's a guy that, as he's advanced in his coaching age is more reflective on the mistakes he's made, uh, the good things that have happened to him. And when he's at UCF there, he's a guy that's obviously like a lot of coaches. They're kind of the surrogate father for a lot of these kids. um, And they're also a teacher. And for Gus, he's trying to put him in the best position to win. So he's working himself to the bone. I mean, he was getting in, you know, like, most coaches do this nowadays, obviously, but, you know, 6 a.m. in the morning, and then he's just not even leaving the building until about 11 o'clock at night. Uh, I remember one day I was sitting in there with him after practice. I said, so what are you going to do tonight, um, you know, after these meetings or whatever? He says, well, I'm going to come back in here. I'm going to watch some tape from Kansas State, Texas Tech last year just to see if there's anything I've missed and anything I could take advantage of. And, you know, it's what's really amazing to me and his football mind. And I didn't put a lot of this in the article because I can't literally write out, here's the plays that they were, they're doing. Cause if I did that, I'm giving away secrets, but he was sitting down and he told, he was telling me through walkthroughs and everything, which place he thought were going to hit it big for big gains. And three of them in that game, three of the, maybe like five hit it big for huge explosive gains in there. And he explained to me why, because of we've run this play three times already this season, but we haven't given him this look and we haven't given him this option. And I know that the safety is going to do this or whatever. And we're going to beat him that way. And sure enough, watching there on the sidelines, saying that was something that happened. And I'm just like, damn, that that's, that's a great scheme or a great coach. And listen, I'm, I know coaches like that across the country are like that, but to like see the behind the scenes of that going, this is what's going to actually work and what's going to happen. And to see it actually happen in real time with so many different variables, you got 22 guys on the field. Plus you don't, don't quite know what the defense are going to line in. It's uh, it was remarkable to watch. You wrote about it in the story, but they, every coach has like a prerequisite of things we need to do. If we're going to win in a difficult environment, UCF was like five explosive plays on offense, right? two turnovers on defense. 
and then one dynamic play change of like sudden change play on special teams. And I think outside of the turnovers, right, they hit on they hit on the special teams play and then and they had over five or six explosive plays on, on offense. Is that correct? Yeah, they hit six explosives in that game. And the problem, though, were penalties. They had 10 penalties in that game. And in crucial moments, there was a fourth and one where they were offsides to keep a drive alive. They had back-to-back penalties, personal foul penalties on a drive that kept the Kansas State drive alive, and Kansas State went down and scored a touchdown. So right there, there's three penalties out of the 10 that led to touchdowns. Um, they were in that game, and then it, it just the penalties were too much. If that was a game that was played at home, if that was UCF's opener, I think – I think they probably would have beaten Kansas State, but that's the sign of a team. And as Gus told me throughout the week, he was worried about penalties, wasn't really harping on them. He didn't really want to put it in their head because then you get maybe mess with the kids. But he said, that's on coaching. That's not the players. We got to figure that out because they were piling up late last season too. And then this year, it's continue to be a problem. He says, I got to do a better job of coaching my coaches because something's something's off there and the penalties keep mounting up. You kind of wrote it in your story. There's a little bit of a pattern of kind of what you, you know, you, you take us through how much time is actually invested in the film room, in the walkthrough, right? Leading up to the game. Were you a little bit surprised on how much like teaching in terms of like the mental repetition actually goes into game week as opposed to 11 on 11? kind of simulated situations. Was that something that was a little bit eye-opening to you? Yeah, it reminded me of being in a college classroom or even a high school classroom in a smaller class where you can't hide in the class when there's a pop quiz or they're asking questions because everybody at any point could be peppered with a question about not only your assignment, but someone else's assignment, what the defense is doing on this play, what the offense is doing on this play, You know, what's your assignment here on this motion. And if you're not aware at all times, even when things are so repetitive in these meetings and the lights are dim and you've been working all day and you're sitting there in the 45th minute of a 52 minute meeting thinking, I just need to get out of here. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, what the heck were you thinking here? What's this? What's your assignment? You're, if you're not on, oh man, you're you're in trouble. And these guys, these, these coaches are constantly teaching. They're constantly quizzing. And I can't, I, listen, there's a reason why I was never trying to be a coach or really be a football player of any sort, because I don't know how these guys do it. The long hours, number one, but number two, it is so repetitive. I mean, you're going over the same like 24 to 36 plays dozens of times a piece. And then that's not even counting the walkthrough where you're standing in the banquet room, running everything at, we say half speed, it's more or less quarter speed in a, in a banquet room and everybody's doing everything. And you're still being questioned and criticized and critiqued. You know, I see Lyman coming up and doing something. It's like, what are you doing here? You need to do this to your hips. You're like, the guy's running at quarter speed in a banquet room. But that's how it is in college football. And uh, it, it was so eye-opening. But also, you know, listen, these coaches in a lot of ways are surrogate fathers for these kids. And you can see that love pouring out in the meeting rooms and in the hallways at, at all times. And it was, um, I know it's like that in every uh, college football program, but rarely as a reporter, do you get just complete all access, free access to Rome and everything. And it's, it's honestly, I saw several like quite moving personal private moments that I just didn't write about because they were very, very, very private. And you just go, 
you know, this that's kind of what it's all about, guys. That that as much as we love watching the games, I mean, these these are guys becoming men because of the men who are teaching and leading them. It's pretty cool you writing about John Rice Plum Plumley, right? Obviously a guy that's a huge part of that program, then obviously can't be there for that game, Big 12 opener. You go in to talk about him and his pregame speech, which is kind of normal for what UCF does. They have one guy speak on the team and obviously a guy that couldn't be a part of that. So we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Guys, you can find Brandon Marcello's article on 247sports.com. Great article. You can also follow him on Twitter at bmarcello. You are listening to the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast with Andrew Ivins and Cooper Patagna. Brandon, I got to ask you real quick. As a former recruiting guy and director of player personnel, did you see any recruiting that happened during the week? I didn't see any, to be quite honest. I didn't. <laughs> there, 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 was, there was no recruiting meetings or anything like that? I'm, I'm not telling you. I'm telling you I, there weren't. I'm trying to think because I had the full schedule in front of me and I went to everything other than they wouldn't let me in on the very early staff meeting uh, to start the day. But that was like a 15-minute meeting. I didn't see any recruiting really going on it was all it was all games so uh, here's a question i have for you right obviously that was the big 12 opener for ucf and when you look at their schedule it's it's one of the more difficult schedules in the country right they'd already gone out to boise state coming back to orlando then you're you're flying to kansas now they're gonna play baylor at home this week and then they i think they fly to kansas after that to, to face the jayhawks i mean what was the what was the vibe in the locker room after a result that they didn't want, right? That they lose 44 to 31 with, with the backup quarterback, John Rice Plumley was out. Timmy McLean was in there, but like, did you feel like so much had built to that game where, you know, they're going to take a step back or is, are they still kind of moving forward? Like, do they feel like they belong there? They do. In fact, uh, one of the team leaders stood up and said, Hey, we lost, but this is only one game. We're the better team. We can still get to the Big 12 championship game, and I we totally believe in that. We know what we've got. We know we're better than what we showed tonight. I know Gus Malzahn got up on the water cooler right after the game and said, listen, guys, I don't want to see anybody pouting in here, hanging their heads, talking negatively or anything like that. You're a good team. You're a pretty good team, and we could still contend. You just beat. You just went up against the Big 12 champions and it's gonna it was gonna be difficult and you knew that um so I, I think they're still riled up about the year and coming forward they also knew going into it they were very shorthanded you know without john rice Plumley, they had to make a change at center they started a freshman at center um they had to move guys around at right guard left guard um and then defensively they were a little banged up a little bit more banged up than it was let on so they know they've got the talent to contend in the Big 12. Uh, I'm not going to sit here and say they're going to win the Big 12, obviously, but that's a, that's a UCF team that very well is going to have a big win here at some point uh, against a, a pretty good Big 12 team. And there's a lot of, you know, you mentioned Kansas. Kansas and Texas this weekend is going to be fantastic because not only because of Jalen Daniels and everything, but goodness gracious, the last two times Texas has played Kansas in Austin, it's been decided by one possession, I believe. Um, and Kansas won uh, one of them. So I can't wait to see that. But, you know, listen, this UCF team, I think they're pretty resilient. Um, you know, Gus Malzahn teams have rarely kind of crumbled, you know, after a loss. And Gus has a tendency to be able to 
really build off of an early season loss. He always points to when he lost to LSU early in the season, and then he reeled off, uh, what was it, nine, ten wins in a row, went to the BCS National Championship game. Um, he believes he can use this as a building spot. And also, he said, listen, not to knock any of the other opponents on their schedule, but no one on their schedule came close to Kansas State. And he knew that. He, the players knew that. And it was a it was a measuring gauge. He wanted to see where his team was at, and now he's got a better idea. Brandon, what's one big takeaway you take from, from this week? doesn't even have to be about UCF, but maybe you as a, a journalist and as a writer – you say, you know what? I didn't really consider that. You know, I didn't. I didn't think about UCF playing with a freshman center. I didn't think about them being banged up. I didn't think about these coaches moving around or, or how many things kind of go into the equation before you even get to Saturday. Is there one thing that you kind of take a step back from thirty thousand feet and say, ah, that's pretty interesting? My big there's several big takeaways, but the one thing in the moment was at halftime how chaotic it is in the locker room. And the idea of there being halftime adjustments, there are not massive halftime adjustments, guys. The, it's They are trying to go, listen, this is what you did wrong. This is how we think we can do better. It's not like, hey, we saw this guy do this or whatever. There were some moments Kobe Hudson, the receiver, came up to Gus Malzahn and was like, hey, I'm noticing this with the guy or whatever. And Gus is like, hey, I don't have time for that for a second. And he's talking to someone over here. <laughs> and he's trying to talk to the offensive line. It's it's a madhouse. Um but sometimes those tweaks work because, um, as I just mentioned, Kobe Hudson's telling Gus about this, and one of the first plays in the second half, they go to him deep and they score a touchdown. So, but the idea that they sit there and go, "All right, throw throw out the game plan. We're gonna we're not gonna run these six plays. We got these other in our back pocket that we barely practiced this week. We're gonna utilize. It's all fooey because the other thing is, eight minutes left in halftime. So that the coordinators have to leave they're getting yelled hey press box you gotta get the press box you're gonna miss the elevator you gotta go so the coordinators are in there and they literally i think i timed it addison williams the defensive corner for ucf had about four minutes to talk to his guys not of a lot of adjustments you get in there and that's what's really damn impressive to me with these coaches you got all this chaos and you just got out of the press box from calling plays and it's immediately how do you fix it and this is what I notice up there. I it's uh, it's insane what these coaches have to do during game days. Last one for me. Uh, I know Cooper has been on the other side, so he's experienced all this. But what, what was the the dining and food situation like when you were embedded with the team? It seems like they eat a lot based on uh, yeah. your writing. They do. Uh, the food on the road was not good. <laughs> Uh, I don't think that's their problem. I think it was the hotel we're at. And I mentioned it in the hotel, it was an older hotel. It was, it was more or less a motel in Manhattan. I'm not trying to degrade anything, but it was what it was. And, uh, you know, they had steak and chicken and everything, but you know, it was like freezer steaks, but it was protein and, and that's kind of what you need. So, um, the, but listen, those kids are like, you know, they're game days guys. Uh, I've seen it before, but then you get reminded of it. Like they're so freaking hyper-focused on like the game. And I don't know how those guys aren't like puking from anxiety every five minutes. Cause they are just amped up, especially saying that hotel all the way until a late night game. Like they had to, man, it was a lot of nervous energy in there. That's the part. Like nobody, 
nobody really understands because nobody really knows, right? But I those days in the hotel when you were playing a night game, it is super restless. It is hard to kind of keep the task on hand at the at the head of it, right? I mean, it, it's such a long day, especially keeping these guys focused. I was laughing about how Malzahn texted one of the assistants, right, about talking about, hey, in this certain situation, we got to be aware of this, which I thought was pretty funny. Um, real quick, Brandon, are there is there one person, doesn't even have to be a coach, that during your week you were like, okay, this person's got a chance to be pretty special in this industry. Was there one person that, that caught your eye at all? Um, Addison Williams defensive coordinator um that guy is on the same level at all times but the players are so in tune with him and their first practice i was there defense did great whatever go on next day sucked addison knew it there was two plays in a row that had bad in in practice so he's making them do up downs and he like his voice never raised but they were like listening to him. And then later that night at their, at their defensive meeting, he went on this like five minute rant where he never really went above what the level I'm talking right now. And there was some colorful language in there, but the kids were listening to him. And whenever he kind of asked an open-ended question or something that sounded like a question, the entire room was saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And then watching him also through the week, I'm not an big X's and O's guys. You guys know that. But watching him dissect things literally just on a whiteboard on the wall, going through things and then asking someone what they do here or there. Um, it's very impressive. I was I was very impressed, one by his acumen, but also the connection he has with all these guys and all these players and how he got them to react during practice and getting themselves back up, and then also in that meeting room. Um, that guy's gonna be a, a superstar, and I think. I recall, I think he was at Furman, and I think he even just left that job to go be like a an analyst and assistant at a Power Five program because he wanted to raise up and 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 get to this level. And here he is now, and he's someone to watch, guys. the The last thing I'll say that I thought was really, really fascinating antidote that you added to the story was Gus Malzahn checking his Twitter after Auburn lost, right, and then talking about, you know, hey. We're, it was either Friday or Saturday. It, it was Saturday when Bo Nix is on TV doing his thing against Colorado. And, you know, you catch him saying, hey, that Bo Nix guy is pretty good. It's fascinating I, to me yeah. because it's very real, right? Like there's a very real human element as a competitor of like, these guys check Twitter. They hear what you're saying. It's very real. A lot of people think they can just shut out that noise. And the truth of the matter is there's maybe only 1% to 2% of head coaches that can actually do that. And I, I found it fascinating that here's Gus Malzahn on this kind of like back nine, right, of his career, the second chapter, but still very much in your story, Auburn felt relevant. And I don't mean that in a negative connotation. It just felt like they're still connected, right? There's still that connection between kind of Auburn and Gus Malzahn. There are things that define your life that you'll never forget, obviously, and that are part of your connective tissue. And th the moments happen. I mean, Gus had didn't have many quiet moments, but as I put in that story, the team meeting's over. They're all going to the bus before the game, and Gus is the captain of the ship. So he's standing there in the doorway waiting for everybody on the bus, all the equipment guys, and 
he stands there and he pulls out his phone and goes pulls up Twitter and the Auburn AM game just ended. So he went and checked his mentions and he showed it to me and goes, Look at that. And I was like, Wow. And he goes, Yeah, after every game, after every Auburn loss, that happens. And it's just expletives and everything from fans. And that's part of being a coach. Um, you know, I could also recall the Friday night going to Bill Snyder Stadium for 15 minutes when we first landed and, and arrived. They had just put down new turf for that season, you know, field turf. And he's he comes up to me, goes, Brandon, uh, feels kind of bouncy, kind of new. Reminds me of uh, when we first put down that field turf at Springdale High. I'm like, yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, sure. Um, but the er, everything's connected. And um, I thought the best moment, though, was I wish I could have written it better, but walking into the coach's locker room and it's game day, everybody's focused, everybody's still quiet, walking to the locker room. And there's a TV in the corner, and Bo Nix is about to score uh, another touchdown to go up 42 nothing, I think. And and uh, he walks over just to look at the score on a small TV real quick, and he comes back to me and smiles, goes, you know, that Bo Nix is pretty good. You know, just um, kind of like, well, we knew it. But, you know, it's uh, all the coaches are like that. They're all checking scores. And, you know, in fact, when Gus got back on the bus after the game, you know, eating his meal and everything and going through some notes, looking through box score and, you know, and then he pulls up his phone to check the scores. You know, he wants to see what's going on across the country like everybody else. And he's he's having the same reaction. And all of us are at some of the scores going, whoa, whoa, you know, except he's only getting to see it like three or four hours after it happened. What was the travel meal on the bus to the airport? Chick-fil-A. There you uh, go. The yeah. standard, the gold standard in college football, man. It's like Can't all those nutritionists, director of football ops, they all talk to each other. Brandon Marcello, you are welcome back on our podcast anytime, my friend. You can check him out at 247sports.com. Great article, as I mentioned. Also at the Marcello on Twitter for Andrew Ivins. Brandon Marcello, I'm Cooper Tagna. Thanks for listening to the 247 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast.